Hey, super friends. My name is Neil. My name is Martin. And we are the hosts of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV, comic book, and pop culture goodness from our studio to your speakers. You can pick up our podcast on all major platforms or head to our website, www.getyourcomicon.co.uk for more. Greetings everybody, welcome to episode 29 of Mandatory Marvel and DC, the show that likes to take a look back at the biggest and best storylines from the big two of comics. I'm your host Max Byrne and I hope you'll continue to join me each and every episode as we discuss these classic moments that have stood the test of time and crossed over into popular culture. Now, for episode 29, I'd like to welcome back to the show a wonderful guest making his long-awaited return. He was so nice, we had him on twice. It's the man behind the magnificent pop culture juggernaut, getyourcomicon.co.uk, your one-stop shop for all things from the genres we all love. And as well as the website, this man hosts, along with his very own Boy Wonder Martin, a fortnightly-ish podcast that I highly recommend. It's the Sultan of Shrewsbury, and these days, the big dog of the big smoke, the face of London town, the prince of pop culture, and more importantly, one of the nicest guys around. It's my friend and yours, the amazing Neil Vag. Neil, how are you, sir? I am great, thank you. I <laughs> forgot how amazing your intros are. I need to take you wherever I go. I should never enter a room without you introing me first. Yeah. Well, you it's know. It's lovely to be back. Thank you for inviting me. I clearly must have done an all right job the first time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Always welcome. Open door policy. Um, of course, this show has been. I think rescheduled more times than no time to die, but we, <laughs> we got, we got there in the end. You have probably yeah. the busiest, busiest schedule. My schedule is, is, is incredibly empty. Whereas yours, I think is the busiest schedule known to man. Um, for those who don't know, you've been kind of tripping the light fantastic on numerous red and other colored carpets over this last week. Or so haven't you? Yeah, it's mad. I, you know what? Everyone looks at like movies and says like summer, summer tentpole season, summer blockbuster season. And I, I, okay, I suppose COVID has probably interfered with that even this year a little bit. But I've never been as busy as I am at the moment. It's insane. So I think we can say that the first time we moved this podcast was because you needed to move it. So you did need to move it once. Okay. Uh, every other occasion was me <laughs> um, because of yeah. random stuff that came up. I can't even remember what they all were now. Mm. How mad is that? Yeah, well, you're that busy. I suppose they almost kind of blend into one. Although I was extremely, I was extremely jealous. You went, of course, and it's not even out yet. But you went to the special premiere, UK premiere event of the upcoming Hawkeye TV show, didn't yes. you? Yes, yes, that was one of them, wasn't it? So that was that was weird. I will be completely honest with you. That was an amazing TV show that I can't talk about for another week. But it was not a fun event to attend. Why so? Can you say or? So- yeah, yeah, no, I, I can definitely say. So uh, people have this really like glamorous idea of what it's like when you're, I hate this word, I hate it, but I'm going to have to say it, when you're an influencer, mm. uh, um, which I do not class myself as, uh, I would like to point out. But it's like I was catching up with a uni friend this week uh, and they were saying like, it's so cool. I'm always seeing that you're at this thing or you're watching this thing or you've been to this thing. Um, people must just, do they just like call you and they invite you to this stuff? And it's like, no, they don't. There's a hell of a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. Like they want something from you as, to give you something. So, you know, if I'm going to invite you to my event, I want 
a review out of you. I want some coverage out of you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so Marvel are not a company that I've done a huge amount with. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because as we know, I'm a big DC fan. So there, there, there was like a really, really obvious pecking order at this event. And that was, there's Jeremy Renner, Hayley Steinfeld, and the director of Hawkeye. They're like top of the list. Yeah, of course. And they were sure invited like people who've got like 50,000 followers on TikTok, uh, <laughs> who like, I had no idea who they were. And then there was us. And to be honest, we were used as seat fillers rather than anything else. So it was at this really small cinema out in East London. So it wasn't like a Leicester Square thing. It was it was like a out of the centre of London sort of situation. Uh, it was a really nice little indie cinema and they were showing it in three screens. So there was two screens of about 60 seats each and one of about 150. And it was made very clear to us as we were put into a little pen on the blue carpet to watch uh, that we would not have access to the big screen. And that that would mean we wouldn't get to see the Q&A with the cast because they wouldn't show that to anyone other than the like A-list and B-list. And we were very much Z-list. Mm. And we were told that in no uncertain terms by someone who said, ha, do you think you're actually going to get anywhere near any of these people? And then walked off. Uh, so that was a lovely rep on the carpet uh, who made sure that we knew that we were not important. And then um, they basically, being a tiny cinema they kind of underestimated the fact that there weren't going to be that many people there because there weren't that many seats for them. Yeah. So the carpet looked really quiet. So if you watch any footage of it, they film bits really carefully where they bunched people up. Yeah. It was actually really spread out and really empty. And basically people were running up and down the carpet saying, we need more fans. Can we get more fans? Where, where are the rest of the fans? It's like, well, everyone is here. <laughs> You've got us here at five. It's now seven. We've been standing here for two hours on a November evening. It's flipping freezing. Like, just get on with the bloody show and get this sorted. Uh, so then they just started allowing in random people off the street. You had to have like a wristband and a ticket to get in, but they just started letting in any old people that were stood outside the venue. Wow. At which point the whole thing is full of like, I don't want, I don't want to sound just like I'm dismissing these people, but let's call them eBay autograph hunters. People who carry around a folder of like five by nine black and white glossy photos and are ready to like, just whap it out in front of the whoever it is and get it signed yeah and then get the next one out and get that signed and they just run up and down the red carpet just handing out pictures over and over again pushing their way through and it's just it was like a cattle market and then they took us inside and we were allowed to see jeremy redder and Haley steinfeld for them to go hi enjoy the show bye and that was it the show was excellent it was yeah. just it was it was just not what i'm used to from some of the stuff that i've been lucky enough to get invited to over the years yeah yeah, that's a shame because uh, mm. they always look from from someone like myself, obviously who's never never been to such an event. They always look like such exciting things to be a part of. You know, it's a, it's a shame to hear, you know, what people don't really un understand the other side of things where it's yeah. not always what it's cracked it up to be. Yeah. Sometimes it is amazing. So um, <laughs> after I said to you, there's absolutely no way that I will get invited to anything that will take place on the fifteenth of November. I got invited to see the Wheel of Time, <laughs> which is the new Amazon show, which comes out at midnight tonight. And that was a wonderful event. So yeah. that was at the, the huge BFI uh, IMAX in Waterloo, which is this huge round building. Yeah. And they built a carpet around the outside of the building. So everyone just looped the building and then went in. And we could not have been made more welcome. I mean, to be fair, they put us at a completely separate entrance to the blue carpet than the celebrities. But, you know, we were welcomed in. We walked the carpet the same as they did. We walked past the press. We walked past the cast. 
everyone sat together inside the venue. We had a huge Q&A with everyone, you know, free popcorn, free water, free chocolates. And no, I mean, Amazon could not have been more welcoming. So I think mm-hmm. it just, I don't know. Maybe it depends on the company, depends on the PR team that are running it. I don't know. Yeah. Stresses on the day. But yeah, it's not as glamorous as it looks. No, no. But at the same time, I do not take it for granted. And I, you know, it's amazing that I happen to be in London and happen to be able to get to do this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fun. it always looks fantastic. I'm always sort of very jealous at these things. And, uh, you know, maybe one day the powers that be will realize that there is people situated in the north of england you know Man- sad, manchester's a big city you know is it the second biggest city i don't know maybe or Birmingham. Yeah. so you know why not but uh, hey ho yeah. I, I understand the reasons why anyway you but, are uh, always welcome to come to london and be my date for an event <laughs> i'll hold you to that when um when this remake of under siege is made i'll be down <laughs> I, saw, I saw that in the press today i was like okay that's interesting that's yeah. not what i expected no, it's not what I expected because I can't imagine people are clamoring for it. But I, I'm no. all I'm all for it as long as they bring all the original cast back. You know, all of them: Gary Busey, yeah. Stephen Seagal, Tommy Lee Jones, all of yeah. them, all all those who are still above ground, still drawing breath. I was going to say, not surely, gonna... surely not everyone is still above ground at this point. Probably not. Thirty years on, some of them must have perished. But um, yeah, thirty it's... years. That's sad. I know, yeah, 30 years next year. God, I remember going to see that at the cinema. It makes me feel old. But um, yeah, it would uh, it would be nice, but hey-ho. We'll, we'll, uh, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, but yeah, it does sound great. And um, I, I'd imagine um, some of the Christmas releases that are coming between now and, and the festive period, be on your radar, you know, the new Spider-Man oh, yes. film, maybe the new Matrix yeah. film as well. You might have a, an end to that yeah. as well. Uh, so Spider-Man, I don't know what's happening yet, but I'm waiting for news on seeing that. So that's very exciting. I'm, do you know what? I might actually be... Uh, I'm, it's kind of a level pegging between Matrix and Spider-Man for me on excitement at the moment. I'm really interested to see what uh, Lana Wachowski does with the Matrix. I'm re- I think it could be something really special or it could just be another Matrix movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite glad that they've given very, very little away, haven't they? The, the, yeah. the, the trailer or trailers that we've had have been very non-committal, mm, haven't they? they've shown. So um, I look forward to seeing what the plot of it is. There's all kinds of weird, yeah. wonderful theories. Like people yeah. saying John Wick is a construct within the Matrix just because Keanu Reeves is sporting the same beard and long hair yeah, that he yeah, had true. in John Wick's, which is ridiculous, but but there you go. I hadn't heard that one. That's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, as well, because Lawrence Fishburne is in the John Wick films as well. As, and obviously yeah. he, he's he's Morbius in uh, Morpheus, I should say. Not Morbius, that's a different franchise altogether. Morpheus in the Matrix films. So maybe there's some credence to it, but that would be utterly ridiculous. And, and then would render the John Wick films completely. Yeah, you completely negate you know, that franchise. Exactly, exactly. So uh, a load of nonsense, really. But no, I do look forward to it, and, and, and definitely Spider-Man. Uh, and speaking of Spider-Man, of course, while we're here, we may as well talk about um, your selection. As you know, you've been on the show before, and anyone listeners know the guests yep. make the show because the guests choose the the, uh, the topic. And obviously, last time you were on, we, you picked a wonderful DC book, um, Identity Crisis, which we had a, a great did, time dis- discussing. And But this time you've gone to the other side of the fence, yeah. You've gone on the Marvel side of things. So, dun, dun, dun. you know, tell us what have you selected for us? Well, see, the first time we did this, I did think about picking a Marvel book just because I kind of want to sort of subvert people's expectations that I just lap up everything DC and I don't really care about Marvel. And I realized I've just kind of shit talked an entire Marvel premiere. Um, <laughs> but 
uh, there we go. I have picked a Marvel book. So I've gone back to 2000 and, oh, I was going to say 2001, 2000, mm-hmm. uh, to the first collected edition of Ultimate Spider-Man. So Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Collection, Volume 1, uh, which is Brian Michael Bendis and uh, Mark Bagley is the uh, artist on this. Oh, it's actually an illustrator on the back of my book. Uh, and it is a collection of issues one to 13 of Ultimate Spider-Man. So the reason that I picked this, I think we probably spoke about this last time I was on the show, but I, I've got kind of that typical journey with comics that a lot of people have. Read them when I was really young, had a period in my teens where I sort of drifted away a bit and then came back. And yeah. this was one of the books that brought me back. So I'm pretty sure I remember back in, so in 2000, I would have been 15. And I remember there was a free comic book day I think it must have been like a cribbed version of issue one. And I got it from my local comic store and I got, I had a poster of the cover of issue one as well, which was on my bedroom wall for years. And then I think I circled back to the ultimate collection just after I went to uni, so probably about 2003, I guess they started releasing collected editions. And this was one of the books that brought me back to comics. So that's why I wanted to kind of revisit it because I've got a lot of fun memories of it. Although there are some interesting takes on certain characters from spider-man lore in this book but i loved the idea that they decided to go back to the whole line and kind of contemporize the origin stories of some of the major characters and i think they did a really good job of it and so it just it was crying out for a reread and a revisit i think yeah oh amen to that you know I, i think the ultimate universe imprint was a really good move for marvel at the time because you're allowing people who you know because at that point so we're talking about the year 2000 by that point you've got about 40 years of marvel you you know if you go back say the 60s are the jumping on point you've got yeah 35 to 40 years of history there so for people who want to jump in sometimes it can be a bit daunting you know because it's kind of of, where, where do i start where do i start i get asked that question a lot people ask a lot where can i jump in it is it can be you know if you're new to it and and i wouldn't know that if someone said to me uh, not necessarily marvel but any dc property as well you'd think well i i honestly don't know to be honest with you um but this was a really good move because what they did was they took all their big franchise players spider-man fantastic four x-men avengers etc etc and gave them almost a soft reboot and and started again from ground zero whereas they they didn't sort of completely reimagine them they they what's the word i'm looking for they contemporize them so to yep. speak. And specifically with ultimate spider-man where the, the origin story is very faithful isn't it to the it really is the original yeah. they don't change it a right lot but they bring it up to a, a modern day or modern day for the year 2000 of course this <laughs> yeah. is, this is yeah. 20, 20 years later god 20 years later time does fly <laughs> yeah no yeah well i wasn't 15 in the year 2000 i was 20 going up for 21 so you know uh, if you feel old imagine how i feel um but yeah my back creaks at the very thought but yeah i mean <laughs> it was it was a great idea because it's, it just gives it a whole uh, a fresh coat of paint i think is, the, yeah. is a good analogy and, and they didn't certainly didn't throw the baby out with the bath water um but i suppose that's that was going to be my first question to you is in, in doing what they did are you glad that they kept it pretty fa- pretty faithful give or take contemporizing some stuff to the original origin of sorry spider-man or would you have liked to see them mix it up a bit and take a few risks maybe change the origin are you glad they stuck with how it is i really liked that they stuck with some of the major beats uh, one of the things that rereading it now 
really impressed me is actually the pacing of it as well, mm-hmm. because it's not like a first issue. Here he is. This is Peter Parker. He's on a school trip. He gets bitten. He's got spider powers. Mm-hmm. It takes like, I think it takes five issues before he's even got anything even relate, you know, like that looks like a Spider-Man costume on uh, you, you, you get a really nice journey that actually follows him as a character and you really get to know him and Aunt May and Uncle Ben as well, which I think is quite interesting. So I, I really appreciated that they kept the major beats there, but just slowed it down a bit and said, let's take some time to really embed the world around him so that when those major events happen, like he starts to discover his powers, he becomes a bit of a moody teenager and ultimately what happens to Uncle Ben. Why am I not saying it? It's not like people don't know what happens to Uncle Ben. Um, you know, so when he eventually does get killed, which I think is, I think the last panel of issue four is when you see the cops outside the house and then you learn yeah. throughout issue five what happened. Uh, I think it is, it's much more impactful. Yeah, I do as well. It's much more, they, they add a lot more meat on the bone, don't they? Really? Yeah. Because I, when I was, obviously you said you wanted to do this, so I started doing a bit of background reading that the original Spider-Man origin story from the 1960s, that whole story from, like you said, all the chain of events, they did it all in 15 pages. Literally, <laughs> that whole story from him just being introduced as quote unquote nerdy Peter through yeah. to un- obviously Uncle Ben's demise. And then, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and I am spider you know, everything that comes from that to that is 15 pages. Well, like you said here, it's yeah. half, a, it's six or seven issues. I think the whole. It's nearly whole, half this, uh, this collection. Whole, exactly. So, and so they've really, Bendis, Mike, Michael Bendis who wrote this has really added on a lot more Mm, to what because everyone kind of knows the story don't they even if you've you're not really a comic book aficionado people say to someone tell me about spider-man they'll go yeah he was he got bit by a spider yeah exactly and you know he he got spider powers so everyone kind of knows the story so you got you are going over a ground but he really does add a lot more to it and i I agree with what you say about the pacing actually it it, because you know what's coming let's face it but it's good because he's able to sort of not tease you but keep you on the hook because you know it's coming. Yeah. So he's like, well, I don't need to give it to you in the first issue. Yep. Exactly. We'll, we'll yeah. wait. We'll wait. Yep. Um, but it's, it's really well done, isn't it? You get the, yeah. So the anticipation comes from the fact that you don't know then when it's going to happen. Mm. So like with the uncle Ben thing is probably the biggest example of that is you just don't know when it's going to happen. And I think it's a couple of issues before that, when uh, Peter does the whole um, kind of goes to the wrestling ring in the really, really simplified version of the suit. Yeah. which looks nothing like what we've kind of seen before and doesn't stop the the guy who eventually goes on to kill Uncle Ben. Mm. So you even get two to three issues there of knowing that that's the guy that's eventually going to do this big thing, but that it's like, okay, it's it's almost here, but is it going to be, am I going to turn the page and it's going to happen? Is it going to be next issue? Is it going to be two months down the line? Yeah. And I, yeah, there is, there's a sense that they really knew, or sorry, Bendis really knew exactly how to string the story out the right way to to just inject a whole lot more adrenaline into it yeah. without changing it to a completely new story oh absolutely yeah yeah and it just it helps flesh out the supporting characters as well a bit more i think yeah it does there's a lot just, more to the to these um, people particularly in the high school there's a lot more going on there which i think makes sense i can't yeah. believe it was only 15 pages back in the 60s but then i think mm. if you go back to the first issue of uh detective comics with batman in i think it's only about three pages it's like 
he is a scientist. His parents are dead. He fights crime. And it's like, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all you needed in the 60s. Yeah. That, well, that's indicative of the time. You, you know, it is, it, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's all, everything's a sort of time capsule. And I suppose back then they didn't tell stories in the same manner, especially in comic yeah. books as well. You know, they were, they were more, I suppose because they were more aimed at a child child market back then whereas these are quote-unquote books for adults so (laughs) you know you can tell a more a more sophisticated method of storytelling i guess Um, with some incredibly 90s haircuts well yes now i did want to get onto the hairstyles in a bit but we'll get onto it right now because i've got to i've got to go i've got to talk tell us about this what the Kinell is going on with Peter Parker's hair in this. Tell, tell me, Neil. I need to understand um, it. I well, I'm pretty sure that I can tell you that at some point in my life, probably when I first read this, yeah. I think I actually had that haircut. I oh pretty, I'm days. pretty sure I had that exact haircut. Wow. It's um, it's yeah, it's something special. It's, it's like it's I like mean, a it's, reverse mullet in a way. Instead of being yeah. short at the front, long at the back, it's the complete opposite. It's like '90s curtains, but with a sort of. I wish that I was in the Crow movie, like, Undercut. <laughs> uh, I can't remember the name now. What's the name of the little skater girl in The Crow? Oh, Christ, I couldn't tell you. I know exactly, yeah. who, you, well, I know exactly who you mean. I always remember that film just because she's, like, a total grunger and she's got her ponytail, but, like, mm. a really, really severe undercut, and that's what yeah. I imagine this, this version of Peter Parker would look like. But it's everyone looks like they've been ripped out of a late 90s, early noughties music video. It's oh. classic. Yeah, yeah. He um when I first was reading actually, I was thinking he actually looked a bit like Peter Andre circa <laughs> the, the prime of his career. You know, I I, I half expected to turn the page and find Bobble Ranks there, and then they could do Mysterious Girl or <laughs> something like that. It is I'd a sight to behold. Uh I think it is is it the beginning of issue six? Yeah, beginning of issue six, where he's uh oh hang on a minute, I'm holding it up to the camera for anybody that's listening. He's dancing around in his pants. Yeah, as well. It's Peter Parker in tighty whities. That's that. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, it that, is. That's a look. It is something special. But I suppose again, it, it all ties into them trying to contemporise it, and they're trying to yeah, make Peter look like a teen. Ultimately, he's a teenage boy from this time period, so they're going to make yep. him look like a teenage boy from this time period. Not, and he does. He does. Yeah, it's it's perfectly representative of the time. You know, I mean, there's plenty of other hair disasters in this in this book. <laughs> Uncle Ben. Now. Yep. Uncle Ben, for those who haven't read it, you know, is a character that obviously hasn't had a, a huge amount of time because his, his basically role in the Spider-Man mythos is to get killed quite early on yep. in, in, in every film incarnation and, uh, in, a, in a, you know, in every storytelling is his job is to die. But here we get, because like we said a few minutes ago, there's a sort of elongated method of telling the origin story. Uncle Ben is in quite a few, at least maybe five, six issues before, yeah, he, five, he, six issues. before he meets his maker. But Uncle Ben is, it's hard to pitch his age. I would say 50 something. I would say they're trying to to be. Uh, Same with Aunt May. And well, obviously with Aunt May. And and Ben's sporting a, he's complete, his his hair is snow white, but he's got this lovely gray ponytail. This sort of like, um, you know, aging rocker pull back. He looks like he should probably be selling vinyl on Camden Market or something like this. It's a look, isn't it? Bit sort of status quo, maybe. He does look a bit like, like Francis Rossi from the Quo. You're right. Yeah, he's just missing the leather vest, which I imagine is probably hanging up in the wardrobe somewhere. Yeah, it's an interesting look, though, isn't it? Because it's you know you don't associate Uncle Ben like that. He was always like the sort of stern kind of you know. Yeah. 
all American man, all American man, man's man, whatever you know. That's an outdated phrase, but yeah. you, know, you know what I mean. And here they've, he kind of looks like an old hippie, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And I, it does. It kind of, in many ways, doesn't really go with his characterization because the way that he really comes into it when Peter's already been bitten and yeah. starting to act up because he's. Mm. I was about to say he's on the change. Uh, he's not going through the menopause. Um, in, because they make it more of a sort of medical condition here. And there's lots of things to do with Oscorp analyzing his blood and what's going on. But it ends up with a this, as you say, hippie-ish looking version of Uncle Ben, mm-hmm. who is trying to be quite a stern parent, which sort of they, the two don't quite maybe go together tone-wise. Yeah. It's, yeah, because he looks like he'd be kind of like the um, the, like the cool parent. You know, yeah, again, you yeah. Know, a better word, you know, the kind of, you know, hey, boys will be boys kind of thing. Exactly. You know, we've, yeah. we've we've all been there, you know, growing up. But um, he, you know, he is still that sort of t- stern taskmaster with Peter. You know, this is how you're going to be. Yeah. So we how we expect you to behave. But the image is kind of incongruous with that, isn't it? But I, I yeah. quite, it's a look anyway. I quite like it's it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's so of its time. You, I don't think it takes much. Well, I think even from the cover art and the logo, to be fair, you would go, okay, that's a book from the early noughties. It's so of its time, but it's just like, for me, this is just like, this is the comics that I was like, okay, I've got a future in just spending my life in these books. Yeah, absolutely. And before we move on to bigger and better things, there's one other hair faux pas I want to mention in this book, and that's Norman Osborn. Now, long-time comic book fans know that the classic Norman Osborn look where it comes to the Barnet is basically his hair looks like the top of a cottage pie. Yes. And they've, they've really not adopted that, um, that look here. He's, he's kind of got this slick back, you know, uh, very slick, very slick multimillionaire businessman look, which is what he is, of course. But, you know, I, when I think of Norman Osborn, I want that ridiculous hair that he's always yeah. been depicted of since, you know, since introducing the sixties, even now in modern day iterations of him in Marvel comics, he still has that ridiculous cottage pie hair, but here they've made him, very slick and I suppose it you know it looks good and it fits with the tone of the book but I just wish we'd had that silly hair for Norman it is it's yeah as you say it's it fits the tone of the book and it's very much the it's when you when you read it or when I read it now it makes me think of like comic book movies of that era and I mean this is what two years before Sam Raimi has his first shot at Spider-Man but you can almost feel like they're going well you know if we were to make a movie he probably wouldn't have that hair what would he look like? He'd probably look like a generic billionaire businessman. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, no, look, no living human being would ever have that haircut. Let's get real. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but this well, is I always a- think of the nineties cartoon where it's like black with red stripes. Yeah. What was going on there? I just, I even remember as a kid watching that cartoon and thinking, well, that's not normal. <laughs> There's something wrong there. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a bit of a, a strange one, but I, again, it, it works for the kind of world that we're trying to trying to build here, I suppose. And again, make it more contemporary. So I understand why they did it. I just wish, I just wish you'd have had that hair that I uh, I know and love and have always uh, admired from afar, shall we say? Um, I'm actually getting a haircut in just a couple of days' time. I might have to take this book in and just say, "Can I have a Peter Parker from this book, please?" Yeah, <laughs> like give me weird spider curtains and let's see if I can pull it off. Yeah. Yeah, well, why not? You know, every, everything goes in cycles, doesn't it? Fashion, exactly. fashion, fashion exactly. is fashion is a wheel. If you stay on it, at some point you'll be at the top, and at It'll some point back. you'll be at the bottom. Everything comes yeah. back. Everything comes back around. You know, 
flare trousers and mullets will be back in again in, in one day. So, you know, oh, if, you, if you hang in there long enough, your look will become, yeah, right. your look will become fashionable again one day. So, you know, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, life lessons here for everyone. But um, yeah, so before, yeah, before we got too bogged down in the, uh, the, the, the barnets and the fashion faux pas in this book, yes, um, it is a shame, but it, it, it is what it is. But yeah, the, the tone of it is, is very, to me, it feels extremely, authentic the, the dialogue now let's forget not forget i should say bendis was i think about 33 34 yeah when this book been. when this book came out there or thereabouts and obviously he's writing from the perspective of a, a teenage boy and i guess it's a testament to his his great talent that it doesn't sound and feel like a 30 odd year old man writing it's not corny boy. at all, is it? No, it sounds like a teenage boy writing for a teenage boy, doesn't he? He's, he's really got yeah. a handle on, on it, doesn't he? Yeah, which I think is why I probably bought into it so much, given that I was kind of 15, 16 the first time I came across it, and then coming yeah. back to it at sort of 18, 19, was that I clearly thought, okay, this this feels like I'm reading something really authentic to the characters that are in it. And I think given that there are so many teenage characters in it, particularly in the high school, because they, re- like I said, they really, really flesh that world out beyond sort of MJ and all the, the characters that you would associate with Spider-Man. Yeah. Everyone has an individual voice as well. It's not a case where the teens all speak a certain way and the grown-ups all speak a certain way. Everyone is has an individual voice, which I think is quite remarkable given the number of speaking parts there are in the book. Yeah. And it's quite dialogue heavy as well, isn't it? It is. It's not, it's not sparsely written. There's a lot of dialogue in here as well. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there are pages where you don't get any dialogue, specifically pages where Peter's discovering his powers and Mm, the the lovely scene I want to talk about in a bit with him and MJ, where he he reveals what he is to her as well, which is a really well rendered, rendered section. But yeah, there is a lot of dialogue in there, isn't there? But it never feels like it's an overload. I think that's the that's the mark for me of great writing. I, I like dialogue heavy comic books. You don't want to feel overloaded, you know. You don't want to feel. No, like, I agree. You know, someone like Chris Claremont, wonderful genius writer, you know, one of the greatest of all time. His books are very dialogue heavy. Um, yeah. But I think here is it's the perfect balance, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and I think this is probably quite a sort of tipping point in terms of comics and. The ratio of dialogue to action because if you think about um the justice was it justice league of america or justice society of america that was going on in dc at the time those are some really i'm going to completely forget who wrote them now um they were just so so dialogue heavy those books and i think this was a period where both the big two were sort of thinking actually do we need to cut back on our dialogue or do we like there's a bit of a shift, I think, in the late 90s, early noughties mm. through to where we are now, where I think comics can often be quite lacking in dialogue sometimes. And so I, I feel like this is somewhere in between, like we're in a transitionary period. Yeah. No, I'd go along with that most definitely, yeah. But I, I, this this for me is just the perfect balance, you know. It's that yeah, neither too agree. much of one thing nor too much of another. It's To me, it feels just right. I think this is as good as it gets for Brian Michael Bendis. I mean, it's a weird, what for me, again, I'm going off topic here, but it's weird how his sort of second half of his career has been out. It's stuff at Marvel I absolutely love. I love this. I love Alias, the Jessica Jones yes. stuff, which, you know, basically framed the TV show. Secret Invasion's brilliant, which, again, is a, yeah, be, now a live, act, live action treatment, of course. Yeah, House of M's really good. New Avengers, 
all really great stuff. And then obviously when he made the jump to DC about four or five years ago, you're thinking, wow, well, great times ahead. And they gave they yeah. give him they give him Superman, you know, flagship flagship book, probably just second only to Batman um in DC's pantheon of, of big selling books. We we Yeah. I mean he got the uh, keys to the kingdom when he came over. He did. And I think the general the almost universal consensus is it's not lived up to expectations. And I would agree. I, I would agree with that because I'm not a fan of his Superman. I'm not a fan of his Justice League mm. either. And, and I don't know quite where it hasn't quite worked out for him because like we say, his Marvel stuff is magnificent. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, it's I, I, not quite know. clicked, has it? No, it hasn't for whatever reason. I mean, it's, you know, again, it's, it's all subjective. It's all horses for courses. Some people would look at it and think yeah. Yeah. how magnificent, you know, but for me, it just hasn't. But that's irrelevant because that's not what we're talking about. But this, this stuff it is, it's just great. It, it, I think he really has a handle on the Peter Parker character, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. And I think that's really important that you need to understand the character. Uh, I was thinking of Grant Morrison's run on Justice uh, yes. Society, by the way. Um, I find those books incredibly wordy, uh, sometimes far like distractingly so from from what's going on. Mm. But yeah, he just with with this, you can just tell that Bendis understands Spider-Man, has a really clear idea for what he wants to do. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have this mapped out months in advance right the way through, because it just it feels like there are things littered through, I mean, just in these 13 issues, there are things, you know, towards the end, which are kind of spun from the beginning, but were just a tiny little Easter egg and then pull through and then come back. And it's like that through all the volumes of this that I've read. It's just so layered. It's, it's an incredible feat. It is. Well, when you look at the run as a whole, it's an incredible feat. I mean, this, mm. this wrap, this, this ultimate Spider-Man ran for 160 issues. So 11 years. 11 years, yeah, 2000, 2011, 160 issues, and Bendis wrote every single one. Wow. I mean, that, that, mad, that, that is a run. And, and the artist, Mark Bagley, he stayed from issue one to issue 111 and then <sighs> left. So, again, that partnership of 111 consecutive issues is one, yeah. of, it is one of the longest partnerships be, yeah. in comic book history. It really is. Yeah. I mean, that is, again, you know, the, the sheer amount of time that those two worked on this together. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Just choking on thin air there. Um, yeah, the two, the way the two work together, utterly unreal when you think about it, isn't it? I mean, in this day and age, yeah. you do not get that level, that length of partnership, do you? No, I'm just trying to think. I don't know how long or how many issues uh, Snyder and Capullo have worked together. That's probably about the only other one I can think of where they were together <coughs> for a long, long time. Oh, but yeah. With that, that's not, definitely. That's nowhere near sort of 11, 12 years. No, no. It is. It's a testament to. And let's face it, 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 it at the level they're working at, Marvel and DC, flagship books, if you ain't cutting the mustard, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, ultimately sales drive everything and, and, and reviews drive everything. So if you're not hitting that top mark and, and the shifting units and, and getting the critical acclaim. Yeah. And they're not going to indulge you, are they? They're going to say, nope, not at all. See you later because there's a queue as long as your arm and twice back of people who would literally give their eye teeth to be given the opportunity to work on, on yeah, such a yes. book. So the fact that you they right. endured for as long as they did, wow, it just shows how they got it just right, didn't they? And I think if you look at the state of comics at the moment, I think Marvel are the ones who are more likely to give you less time to prove yourself. <clears throat> yeah. So clearly this was just like lightning in a bottle for them that it worked so well off the bat that they stuck around for that long. 
because I, I mean, you and I have spoken about this before, but at this point in time, the only Marvel comic that I'm actually subscribing to at the moment is Daredevil, because I just feel like every time I pick up, I must be like, I've got, I'm the kiss of death to Marvel. <laughs> I pick up a Marvel book and it gets cancelled. <laughs> so uh, I find that's why, I, again, another reason why I love going back to like the ultimate run, because there's just so much to enjoy there rather than I get excited for a book, pick it up. And then three months later, it's like, final issue. I'm like, oh yeah okay yeah it's a sh- it is a shame there's not that kind of and, and, and you know dc are guilty of it as well there's not that long-term yeah. investment anymore now you get you get big storylines i mean dc have literally literally as we record this just finished their fear state arc yeah. which was which a- I mean, i'm behind i'm i'm really ashamed to say this but i will admit it on record i'm four issues behind in batman oh which my- is I that mean, just one number do. one character. No, <clears throat> I mean, just I will just not go do. right now. I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave. Yes. Um, yeah, this recording is over. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, it, again, but using that as an example, that lasted for about three months, I want to say, something like that, yep. across about, about three or four different titles, not just Batman, but Nightwing and, and a couple of others. Um, and now that's considered a big a big chunk, three or four months. It's, it's a, yeah. it's a big undertaking. Whereas to have it going on as long as this, that it just, it just does, does not happen anymore. doesn't happen. Nope. It's a shame though. Cause I, I'd welcome it. it. Again, it's one of those, I suppose it's one of those things. Oh, it's got to be good though, to last that long because. Again, it ha- yeah. It has to be, it has to be this level. It has to be this caliber of comic to last that long. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But again, what we're saying about him understanding Peter is as well. I think. He really, you really do get the sense of Peter's, even in, in these 13 issues, you really do get sense of Peter's journey, internal journey, because like you were saying before, he's this angsty teen, giving it the attitude to Uncle Ben, as yeah. teenage, as teenagers do with the, the parent figures and, and what have you. That's just the way it goes, unfortunately. Um, but then you, you when obviously he starts to discover these abilities and powers that he's um, acquired, the sense of joy that he gets at it is really yeah. tangible, is it? Which is exactly how it would be. He's not a, he's yeah. not so, a tortured soul who's going, oh no, I've yeah. been given these powers. What a curse. He's like, yes. oh, this is the, literally the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. Which yeah. is true. You know, if you're a te- if I was a it's teenage just, boy yeah. and I inherited spider powers, I would literally think I was, I'd won the, the lottery. It would be the greatest yeah. thing that could physically happen. Well, it would now at 42, what am I saying? But even back, even back then, 30 years ago, I would have literally thought I was the happiest man ever. Um, but it's great, isn't it? You can see that little transition from he's very moody, yeah. things aren't going great for him, and then there's literally like a light, light bulb switches on in him, and he becomes this, his self-confidence grows. It's a really good through line, isn't it? It is, yeah, and I think Raimi took a lot of inspiration from that as well. Uh, but the yeah, like you say, and I, it's interesting the way they do the moody, the moody teenager stuff as well. Because I can imagine in the sixties he may have just sort of stamped his foot and gone to his room and slammed the door. Whereas this is like I sneak out and go to a house party overnight, and Uncle Ben has to come and drag me home again. Yeah. Uh, so it, again, it's that perfect contemporary level for where like kids of that age were at that point because that's you know what we were doing and then you get the scenes in fact i've got it open in front of me right now where he's it's not even in any kind of spider suit he's just in like a black onesie and he's discovered his acrobatic powers and he's just having fun he's like chucking old cars around hanging off ceilings doing acrobatics and he's just like yes in fact the dialogue on the page in front of me is i am hercules i love that freaking spider yeah 
which is a great example of Bendis's wonderful dialogue, but also just how much joy there is in this book. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's exactly how it would be, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be cursing your luck, would you? you? I would be exactly the same. Yeah. No, it's great because, again, it's just that that journey that the character's going on. And, and, you know, you see, again, though, again, again, we're not spoiling it for anyone. Everyone knows, sadly, Uncle Ben is uh, not long for this world. But, again, you see that switching Peter again once Uncle Ben um, meets his maker in that he goes from this kid who is just on top of the world. He's got these wonderful powers. The world is literally his oyster. Once Uncle Ben goes, you see that massive switch in him, don't you? Because he, he yeah. suddenly realises that um, I need to metaphorically up my game here. And then he starts to actively try and make a difference in the world Yeah, where he, where he tries to go after Wilson Fisk and sort of, you know, expose him for what he's been up to, all these illegal activities. You know, he's not, he's not being reactive to a situation with a villain like he is in the, the first part of the story with, with Norman mm. Osborn. Yeah, he's actually realizing, right, I've been given these powers, you know, I need to do something with them. Exactly. I need to try and make the world a better place. You know, Uncle Ben told me I needed to be a better man. Unfortunately, he's he's gone and it's partially my fault. So to honor him, I need to start being, you know, the man I can be. Now I have this this wonderful gift. So, again, just that there's like sort of three stages of Peter in these 13 issues, isn't there? Yeah. One thing that I did always kind of confused me is you get the end of issue five where he so uncle ben is dead we've seen how it's happened yeah and peter's just walking at night and he bumps into mj and she says how are you doing and he says i don't know and she says your aunt is staying with us he says good Uh, they asked me to wait here for you and bring you back to our place you know if you want i was so worried and then he just collapses and that last panel is really really cool it's just the two of them under like a street light and he's just crumpled on the floor and she's cradling him and then you go into issue six and it starts off with j jonah jameson and then two pages later it's peter skipping around in his pants because he's just discovered web fluid and there's, <laughs> there's a bit of that is the only kind of disconnect in this book for me that I was like hang on a minute i kind of wanted a little bit more of the grief mm. uh, and while you still get that amazing joy of him discovering being spider-man um it, there's a there's a slight emotional disconnect there when he's he goes from literally being unable to stand to dancing around in his tight whities again. Yeah, he does seem to get over it a little bit quicker, too quick, <laughs> doesn't he? I suppose. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But then you get your first use of the word thwip in this book, so you know any classic yeah. Spider-Man fan will be instantly very happy. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of the lexicon of Spider-Man, isn't it? Much the same yeah. as snip. What snicked is to Wolverine, thwip, yeah. thwip is to um, yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man, isn't it? No. It and can- uh, important to say that this is a uh, this is a web shooter, not a like natural comes out of the wrist yeah. web fluid. He's not creating it somehow in his body. It is scientifically generated. Yeah, I do prefer that though. I do prefer the scientific you know the, the machine making the web rather yeah. than it being secreted in his wrist kind of thing i, I, I do yeah, well you need that whole moment where he you know is in the middle of new york city and it's like oh i am out of web fluid you need that like moment of horror where he's like i'm about to come crashing down to the street and get pancaked by a car because i've got yeah. no web fluid yeah. interestingly i don't know if you've seen it but they're uh one of those supposedly deep faked but 99% sure is not deep faked Andrew Garfield shots that might be in no way home. Yes. Uh, now has a bit of dialogue and it's him saying to someone off screen, 
you have web blood. So that has to be Garfield talking to Maguire. Yeah, because his version of Spider-Man made it internally, didn't he? He didn't have to artificially generate it, yeah. Sort of spurting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had like these sort of little white sacks on his wrist, didn't he? That yeah, they just kind of shot out of. Yeah, um, oh yeah, that that's that, that's going to be in there definitely. I think um, I think there's going to be a, a lot of things in there that people can enjoy, and I think there's going to I think for Spider-Man fans, that film is going to sort of be everyone's dream come true. I think. I think it probably is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that they're trying to keep it under wraps, everyone everyone knows those two are going to be in it, don't they? Let's let's get real for a second. Everyone's like, I'm so glad that they've not put them in the trailers because it it makes it a surprise for the film, but it's not a surprise. I like the one person who doesn't read the internet and doesn't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I it beggars belief that anyone will go and see that film, and when it's not if it's when those two other versions of Spider-Man make their entrance into the film. Someone's yeah. going to go, oh my God, I didn't expect that. You know, everyone yeah. knows. But I suppose it's glad that they are actually showing the footage. So, yeah. Know. Or maybe they should. I don't I'm sure know. we'll still cheer. We'll still cheer when it happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same with Matt Murdock. Everyone everyone knows he's in it. But yeah. and again, they have, they've left him out of the trailer. So it becomes, I guess, carries more weight when you actually see him on screen. But again... You, you can't keep anything. We all know. You can't keep anything. We all know. Secret, secret these days, you know that you know. And Venom no. will probably be in it as well, based on the post-credit to Venom Two. Let's hope. Yeah, it must be though, because why would they put that stinger yes. in Venom Two for anyone who's not seen it? I'm not going to tell you exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to say exactly what it is, and so no one can accuse me of spoiling the post-credit scene of Venom Two. Yeah, but it does insinuate, shall we say, that Venom and Spider-Man are about to cross paths. Um, so. Where better place than this film where he seems to be exactly. crossing yeah. paths with every man and his fucking dog. So there's that moment that's in the new trailer as well where Doctor Strange says something along the lines of they're all coming through. Yeah. And it's like, well, if that's not a moment to cameo a whole bunch of villains that we've not seen or he's not met yet, then this is the perfect moment. Exactly. Yeah. Go. Uh, I'd love it to be like a into the Spider-Verse moment where like Spider Ham pops up. Exactly. And, well, um... I mean, what's to stop animated Miles Morales from dropping through a portal and still being animated? Yeah, yeah. It would kind of be absurd and probably would be would. would not fit remotely, but I for one would love to see it, I must say. Exactly. So, I certainly yeah. feel the need to watch Spider-Verse now. I might have to watch that tomorrow. Yeah. Well, any any excuse, not that any is needed. So um yeah. no, definitely. That's but back not, to the, sorry, back to the book. We digress. Oh, yeah, well, you know, it's all good fun. Um, but yeah, one thing I did want to mention here as well as well is that there's there's no well, initially anyway, it does come later. But one comic trope that's you know been used to death is thought bubbles, mm. and and in this in this at least in the first couple of issues you you don't get any, you get you, you get later on you start to get Peter's internal monologue, um, but initially you don't and to me that's that become that style of writing from Bendis it's more it feels more like a like like a live act like a TV show like a, something yeah. more something more cinematic doesn't it it's not yeah. your typical comic book way of writing is it he lets the story tell you the story if that makes sense rather than yeah, i know exactly what you mean rather than having to spoon feed you whatever what's going on by letting you literally read the lead character's thoughts or any character's yeah. thoughts he's just letting the story tell itself isn't he and yeah uh, which you, is what yeah. you'd get in live action yeah you do explore this world and kind of you experience it through them rather than 
them explaining it to you. So exposition wise, with there's yeah, there's barely anything going on. It does sort of reflect maybe teen dramas of that era or even comic book movies of that era to some respect. I'm trying to think when it when did X-Men come out? When was the first X-Men film? It's the year two thousand. So sort of I mean this feels like it it would have been a movie of that ilk. So I think they were there was definitely a lot of thought there in terms of what's being successful with comic books at this point in time and what's successful in pop culture. And I guess 2000, you're talking sort of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dawson's Creek. This point, it's a big, it was a Smallville be around at that point? Yes. yes. Two, 2001 was Smallville. Well, so not quite. But then there you go. That was another uh, consequence of kind of the popularity of teen dramas in that day and age. So I think it it fits in <clears> with with the media that was aimed at that age group at that point yeah oh yeah most definitely yeah it's just it's just another thing where it just captures captures the zeitgeist at the time doesn't yeah. it? The, the fashions it we, the fashions we talked about the dialogue and just and the writing style as well it's very much on point for the the time it came out isn't it it yeah it really is yeah i'd say so yeah and um, one thing i did want to talk about as well is the version of the green goblin in this in this uh, yes. in this book because i must say <laughs> I don't know. For me, I, I'm not a huge fan of this version of the Green Goblin. I'll tell you for why. This version, when when Norman Osborn becomes Green Goblin in this, by in lieu of you know, in result of his uh, experimentations and him trying yeah. to obviously use trying to use what as what's the word I'm looking for? Use the methodology that has sort of given peter because he, he knows that peter is spider-man early on in this yeah, you know, he knows, he, outset, he knows and knows the powers so he's trying to replicate those for himself kind of thing but it all goes wrong but the version of green goblin that he becomes is sort of this mindless monster this huge mm. hulking monster whereas yeah. what i've always liked about the green goblin is despite the fact that he's fucking batshit crazy because he's been driven insane because he's willem dafoe because he's Willem Dafoe, yes, but despite that, he is a he is a, he a genius level intellect. Intellect, not yeah. Osborne, yeah. And the Green Goblin, despite his absolute off the reservation insanity, is still genius level intellect. Yeah. Whereas this version of the Green Goblin is like a monosyllabic. He can barely talk. He just says like Parker or something. Yeah. But he keeps trying to get Peter, doesn't he? Impressive to look at with this, you know, this wonderful sort of monster rather than you know the traditional guy in the little pointed peak cap on a on a flying uh, motorcycle but i don't know for me i just i know i know i know they're trying to reinvent it here but i prefer that if that more traditional version of, of normal yep. i mean i'd love to know what you your take is on this i completely agree with Goblin. you i do completely agree with you i think it's probably the 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 biggest issue for me with this whole comic is is that version of that character. That was the biggest change. And unfortunately, I think it just doesn't quite work. But going back to what we were just saying, how much does that, does your, even your description of it sound like a comic book movie villain? Oh yeah, massively. Yeah, massively. So again, it feels like that's almost what they had in mind was what would work if this was a film? Well, yeah. maybe he wouldn't be a guy that puts on a suit because then we've got, Peter, who's also a guy that puts on a suit, and is that similar to Batman and other superheroes, which are just a guy who puts on a suit? Maybe it needs to be this big, like, accidental science experiment gone wrong monster that ends up being, you know, a version of the Green Goblin that is this this Spider-Man's big villain. So I, I've, it's a very 
it's like we keep saying with all aspects of this book, it's a very of its time creative decision, I think. Yeah, I get that. I do understand that. I understand the reasons for it. It's just, I mean, it just doesn't work. I mean, it looks great. I mean, there's that wonderful shot where Peter first sees him in all his twisted yeah. glory, a wonderful full panel page. And he, he, but he, he looks more like, I don't know, something out of Lord of the Rings or something like that than the Green Goblin. It's a, it's a bit lizard like as well, isn't it, in a way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how would you differentiate between Lizard and this version of Green Goblin? You you barely could, other than one looks a bit like a goblin and the other looks a bit more like a crocodile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he, I mean, yeah. Looking at the face there, he is he is a literal green goblin. I, which I suppose it does what it says on the tin. I suppose, but I don't know. It to me, it's just too much of a, a change from. Yeah. I agree with you. The Green Goblin that, that I like. And, and and also the one thing about as well that the tradition I was done with Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, is that duality where he'll flip-flop. Yeah. Where when he's not Green Goblin and he's Norman Osborn, he can revert to being yeah. a, you know, a father to Harry and, a, you know, again, quote-unquote, normal person. And then there's that, and sometimes he won't even remember what he's done as Green Goblin. You know, he'll forget that he knows Peter is Spider-Man and things like this. Yeah. And whereas here, you lose all that nuance, don't you? Yeah, I like that duality, and I, you can see that there's some good in this man. You know, it, ultimately he is a father, and and you know want, wants to protect and do the best for his son, as well as being an insane, murdering monster. <laughs> But there's light and dark to the man, whereas this he's just this beast, this mindless beast. So again, it's yeah. just it's a it little feels like subtle, a waste of isn't it? Yeah, he's also not really green. He has a green head, but then his body is not green. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just it's neither. It's kind of I don't think they kind of got the direction they wanted to go in, and kind of it feels like a few things mashed together, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does, and it's it's the biggest issue I think with this book easily when you go through it. It's just it feels generic. Yeah, it it does. It does. Yeah, it feels like um, a a monster, a monstrous character that they've lifted from anywhere from from some yeah from any kind of fantasy based story, doesn't it? Really, which is a shame, really. But um, it's it's not quite what I was was hoping to see. But again, it's it's enjoyable enough, and you know, I don't want to you know cast too much um, negativity. And it's not a decision that stuck either. It's, It's not you know impacted on any comics afterwards. He's not still like that. No, no, no. I mean, it's just for this this universe. This, you know, this just separate from the the main continuity, anyway. Um, but yeah, it's not quite what I was looking for. But the other main villain of these first thirteen issues was what I was looking for, which is Wilson Fisk, aka yeah. the Kingpin. Now, here, you, this version, we talk about the live action Spider Spider-Man being influenced by this into the Spider Verse. That version of the Kingpin looks like it was literally lifted off the page, yeah, doesn't it? This it does. massively oversized villain. I mean, he is huge in this. In when you when he's in the same frame, the same panel as, as Spider-Man in this, he's literally four or five times as big as him, isn't he? He's huge. He's absolutely huge. Yeah. But it works though, doesn't it? It doesn't, although it's kind of ridiculous for a human being, because at the end of the day, Wilson Fisk Kingpin isn't a superpowered villain yeah. or anything like this. He's just, you know, he is just a man. But it, it doesn't, you don't look at it and go, Jesus Christ, that looks a bit 
a bit strange, but it works, I think, doesn't it? It, it makes it him really more, even more menacing and dangerous, doesn't it? If you go to the end of issue nine, the last panel of issue nine is him about to kind of crush Spider-Man and his, yeah. I mean, his thumbs are almost the same size as Spider-Man's head. <laughs> his hands <laughs> are the same size as Spider-Man's torso. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of scale just in terms of that particular panel. And it is, I mean, he is absolutely huge. I always felt like this informed... Um, the live action Daredevil film, the Ben Affleck film version of Kingpin as well. Yeah, Michael like Clark was, Duncan, yeah. That's the one, yeah. Uh, I felt like there was some influence of this version of the character in that as well. Yeah, quite possibly, actually, yeah. Just that hulking guy, isn't it? You know, which with the Netflix version, Vincent D'Onofrio, which is beyond magnificent. Perfect. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. But he's he's more of a a big man as opposed to a muscular man, isn't he? He's not yeah. like, he, his version of Kingpin isn't jacked up muscular. He's huge and, you know, a dangerous, intimidating bloke who can you know hold his own with anyone in a fight, but he's not like a muscle man. Whereas, no. like you said, the, the, the Affleck um, daredevil uh, Batman, uh, Kingpin most definitely is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I always felt like that film also uh, really informed, or maybe it was the other way around, uh, Electra as well, because the the ultimate Daredevil in Electra book has her in a in a black costume rather than the red costume, which is obviously how she was in the in the Affleck Daredevil movie. Yeah. So I felt like there was there was a lot of kind of back and forth between the ultimate run and the movies at that period of time as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's 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 still prevalent today. I mean I, we were saying before we recorded the the the, the ultimates, which is the mm. event the Avengers by any other name. So much of that is lifted for the MCU Avengers. It it really is um, almost parts of it almost lifted wholesale. So yeah. the the influence and like we're saying, their their sort of methodology, the ethos behind the Ultimate Universe was trying to reboot what had come before and make it more contemporary. I mean, well, I think and, they connected it, all the books as well, didn't they? From Ultimate, I think there was more of a strong connection between all the books in the Ultimate era. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all ex- that this this version, this Ultimate Spider-Man, doesn't live in isolation to the other Ultimate yeah. books. It is all one in connected universe, and they do interact. You know, there's Ultimate Fantastic Four as well, Ultimate X-Men. All of those characters pop up in other people's books. Other it is books. it is yeah. a living, breathing universe. It's not it's not just this is Spider-Man and he lives. You know, and on an island like like the the, um, the Sony spider-man films that's just that it's just a spider-man world isn't it it's only since obviously since they've done the deal with marvel where he can cross over and interact with with the wider universe certainly with the ultimates yeah it was it was one big interconnected world but it again just works really well and yeah honestly people who want to go back and maybe check these ultimate books out you you will recognize so much oh no it is brilliant but you will recognize so much stuff where you think yeah that yeah, that's I've seen that in the MCU. I've seen this in the MCU. I've seen that take on a character in the MCU. Um, it just works so well as a live action template, doesn't it? I'm now wondering. I don't know what Earth this would be numbered as in the Marvel universe. Don't know where it exists now in the Marvel multiverse. Um, this the Ultimate Universe is classed as Earth one six one zero apparently. Thank you very much for yes. that piece of information. Yes, one, yes. Six, one, the, the MCU is 616, isn't it? Yeah, 616. 616. So this is, uh, yeah, six, 
yeah, one six one oh it is. Yeah, so that's a lot of Earths. <laughs> that's a lot of Earths. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I guess the mainstream Marvel continuity is, is Earth One. I'm not really sure. Like yeah. it's like it is with DC. You know, Earth One is Earth One. You would presume so, wouldn't you? Yeah, I don't know. I've never I've never read a multiverse map for the Marvel universe. I have. No, I have, read one, I have read one for DC, but never for yes. Marvel. But if this is Earth sixteen ten, then that's a lot of Earths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, a literal infinite Earths. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, one thing I, I I do want to touch on as well is the art in this book. Yes. As we said, Mark Bagley had, had, had worked on this book for 111 issues alongside Bennis. But the art in this book is absolutely wonderful, isn't it? I love it. it, it yeah. I love it. It is great, isn't it? It's so full of life. Yeah. And it, it it's a bit cartoony. It's not it is a bit. Yeah. It is a bit, but it works, doesn't it? It it fits yes. what it fits what we're going for here. If you want photorealistic style, go and buy an Alex Ross book. <laughs> yeah, I, you're definitely not going to get that here. No, I mean I love Alex Ross. To me, he's, you know, he's the pinnacle as far as I love it. But I also love this approach too. It That wouldn't work for this this kind of story we're telling no, anyway. No, it wouldn't, would it? But the art in this, it, so, it's so busy, isn't it? There's so It pops off the page, doesn't it? It does. It's, again, really of its era. It's, you know, it's not one of those books that either focuses on the character or the environment. They're very, yeah. very rich environments with very, very heavily detailed characters. I think the facial expressions in this are just outstanding. There's there's so much emotion communicated in the visuals of it, even when he's in the spider suit, just through the way the eyes are drawn to convey emotion while he's in the suit. It's just, yeah, so much time and effort has gone into it. And going over from issue nine into issue 10, the first panel again is Kingpin kind of standing over him. And you really look at this version of Spider-Man in that particular panel on page one of issue 10 and think, yeah, yeah he might have, you know, special powers, but he is just a weedy teenage boy, which, you know, is what Spider-Man should be by all, you know, ori- origins of the character. Yeah, He should be a teenage boy who doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's just trying to make a difference. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it would it wouldn't make sense to make Spider Man more statuesque and more, yeah, more muscular, yeah. like like he is in the um, the nineties animated TV show. Yeah, which is brilliant. I absolutely adore it, and you know it's great that it's on Disney Plus for everyone to see. You know, my 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 son and me have watched it from start to finish. Nice. He absolutely loves it. But in that, he is. He's got a he's traditional traditional superhero build, hasn't he? You know, he's yeah. got like a yeah. WWE wrestler's build. Whereas that's not Spider-Man. You're quite right in what you just said. You summed it up perfectly. Peter Parker is a undersized, quite weedy teenage boy, yeah. isn't he? That's the beauty of the character as well, isn't he? He doesn't need to be. Exactly. You know, he's, yeah. a, he's as strong as, well, he's, he's much more strong than a normal man. Of course he is. But he doesn't need to have the jacked up physique to go with it does he and it's i think that's why spider-man becomes so amiable to a lot of people particularly young readers because you look at captain america there aren't that many people in the world that look like captain america that didn't get there probably through taking quite a lot of steroids um exactly yeah. you know there's no one that looks like wolverine because i don't know anyone that can grow that level of mutton chops um <laughs> yeah, yeah so you know, when you're a weedy teenager yourself and you're looking for a comic book that might represent you a little bit more, I, the the one that I'm always going to say is just, you know, look at Spider-Man. Yeah. I think that's just the character in general, though, isn't it? Not just his appearance, just 
just Spider Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's not that billionaire Tony Stark, Bruce Wayne, Oliver Queen figure. Yeah. He's a he's a real person with the same issues in his life that the rest of us don't have, don't we? You yeah. know, money issue, money issues, professional issues, relationship issues. Life never quite seems to deal him the best deck, does it? Nope, it doesn't, does it, poor guy? No, he's he's been through it. He can never truly have long lasting happiness, it seems. Um, but yeah, but that that's that's makes that's what makes people identify with this so much, isn't it? Because you, like yeah. you said about the appearance, yeah, the, the life as well. You can you can see yourself in him more, can't you? He is relatable. He's an incredibly relatable character, and I think that's why the facial expressions in this book make it even more so than other runs that came before this, because there's just so much in. The eyes, uh, I've got a panel in front of me where he's talking to Aunt May and he's crying. Yeah. And I mean, there aren't tears stro- streaming down his face. There's just, you know, the the indication of his eyes watering. Yeah. But even that, you can, I, I'm looking at it and I'm imagining him crying like it's an animation because there's just that level of detail there that your your brain instantly fills it in and makes makes it into a living story. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's just, I mean, there's so much to enjoy on a visual level in this book. One particular section that I did want to bring up, again, it's it's one where it's not dialogue heavy, but it, it's, you know, that old adage, a picture tells a thousand words. It really does here, and it's a scene towards the end of it where Peter decides that he's going to tell MJ that he's Spider-Man, and yes. they're, in, they're in his bedroom. And, you know, it's just the, the awkwardness and the sense of, you know, him wrestling with it is palpable because obviously she doesn't know what he's about to say. I think she thinks he's about to declare his undying love for her or something like yeah. that. You know, she's probably, that's what she's expecting because she knows he's sweet on her. But it's just wonderful panels, really tight close-ups of the characters' faces, isn't it? Both of them, back and forth between the two. Back and forth, yeah. Yeah, and you can see there, that, again, they're not, they're not really saying much, but, you know, she's got that kind of, you know, knowing smile, thinking, oh, here we go. Another boy, <laughs> uh, this boy who, you know, I might like, I might not, but, you know, he's he's about to say, oh, MJ, will you go out with me? Or, you know, I love you or something like this. And she has no idea what's coming, but you can see in his face, you know, there's sections where he's looking down, there's sections where yeah. he's, he's looking at her and trying to say, because he's got to establish with her first that he can trust her and that what he's about to say can never, ever leave that room because it's, you know, it's, it's the, the secret to end all secrets. Um, it's just a really nice, spacious storytelling, I think. It is. So that's issue 13, which has got a really awesome cover yes. as well. Uh, and I love the page where he actually says the the words, I'm Spider-Man, because uh, the top panel is that kind of classic teenage, maybe rom-com shot where it's the two of them side profile. Yeah there's a bit of distance between them and you can imagine if it was a film that would be the the moment where they just their heads slowly get closer and closer together and they're going to kiss and it does that again it does exactly what you would do in a film it does the wide shot from side profile her face close up then his face close up then back to her and you can imagine they're probably moving closer and closer and they're going to kiss and then he just says i'm spider-man yeah and the last panel is just that look of shock on her face which is just yeah it's perfect and of course she then laughs at him and falls off the bed in fact yeah yeah she laughs so much it throws her off the bed um and then obviously he has to prove it so because because obviously if she said if some if he had said to her i'm spider-man because peter is the least 
on the face of it, the least likely candidate to be Spider-Man. He's not, she's not, she's not going to buy it. You know, he's not a jock or, you know, they've, they've seen by this point, they've seen Spider-Man in action. So they know all the wonderful things he can do. So Peter is literally the last person you would look at on the face of it and go, Oh, maybe he's Spider-Man. You know, you'd think it'd be more like the flash Thompson character or something like that. Yeah. Um, This scene also really heavily features a poster of Einstein on the wall. It appears quite often. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Which again, there's that lovely uh, shot, a lovely panel of of Peter when he says, right, okay, I'll prove you I am. And he starts climbing up the wall and he's sort of climbing over the picture of Einstein. And it's just, it's that wonderful sort of, I guess, sums up Peter is that he is Spider-Man, but he's also the, he's the man of action, but he's also the man of science, isn't he? I suppose. And he's there next to the the ultimate scientific mind. So it kind of sums up it sums up the man, the, the man, the boy, whatever you want to call him at this point in one panel. It's quite clever visual storytelling. I think that from Mark Bagley. And I don't feel like MJ or any of the female characters are particularly overly sexualized either, given that they're obviously supposed to be kind of 14, 15 here. They're, there's none of that sort of suspense of disbelief that they're not just able to be teenagers and that they need to be overly sexualized. It's, it's drawn really, really respectfully, I think as well. I mean, it's it's not like she's sitting there in a you know paper bag and is made to look really frumpy or anything. She still, you know, is reflective of a teenager of that era, but she's not overly sexualized, which is nice to see. It's it's done respectfully. Yeah, I think, like you say, based on the age, it would be really inappropriate. If yeah, sexualized her. You know, she's supposed to be like a mid teenager. It, it would be. Having said that, they do then kiss on the next page, but you know, it's not that salacious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, she's um, she's changed the tune because you're not sure if she's on the fence about this. As soon as he says, "I am Spider-Man," she's like, "Oh, give me a smacker," you know. Yeah, um, she's uh, a typical fickle teenage girl, I suppose. Um, but yeah, no, you're quite right. It, it would be highly inappropriate if they'd have made her or anyone from that age group, you know, more sexually attractive or something like that. Yeah, you know, these are these are fifteen, like you said, fifteen. 14, 15, 16 year olds. That's not right. <laughs> so no, they've, they've done the right thing there with not making a like that. You know, if they'd have aged them up and done the Peter, yeah. and, Peter and MJ in their twenties, which obviously does does come, then fair enough. But no, the way they've done it. Or is- like if you've done it again, like TV shows of that era where 16 year olds are all played by actors who are like 24, 25. So they, yeah. they naturally are more over in the way they dress and it just gives you the wrong kind of impression of what someone's like at that age. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's not right to do it like that. So no, it's, it's just the, the perfect tastefulness. You know, they've made her a, a, a pretty girl, pretty teenage girl, cause she's supposed to be the object of, of Peter's affection at the school, yeah. but they've just, they've just got the right balance, I think without being silly with it, but um, no, it's good. I mean, the, like we said, the art in this is just, it's just amazing. What it, it what I always say is testament to great art is you could take the take the dialogue out of the page and, and it, you'd yeah. still you'd still tell you'd the still story, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. You can absolutely you would. would. Yeah, I mean, I I was just, something that just flashed across my mind. Yeah. Sorry, just before I forget yeah. about it. Uh, what Spider-Man suit in this? Uh, what do you feel about the quite small version of the logo, or to say the logo, the spider on the chest plate of his of his yeah. costume? I think it's okay because it works with the with the the, the body frame he's got. Yeah, you know, because he's it's quite, quite a slim version of the spider. It's in some shots where he's kind of smaller in the frame. It's almost yeah. difficult to make out, but yeah. it, I think it works given that he is so small and slender. Yeah, no, I think it's it's just a really nice rendering as well, and I'm glad as well they don't have the because I never liked it. You know the underarm 
underarm yes. webbing that the, like the weird, older weird. versions of the character have. Yeah, I, I'm not keen on that. I pref- I much prefer the nothing under the armpits version of the costume as well. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. And there's speaking of the art as well. There's one other lovely bit as well where the art just for two pa- just for two pages. That's all it is. Changes. It yeah. completely changes when it's basically a dream sequence, isn't it? Where Peter's. I just went past that and I yeah. can't remember where it is. Somewhere it's, in the middle of the book, I think. It's just after he's uh, been offered the job at the Daily Planet. Oh, yeah, got it. The Daily Planet. What am I saying? The Daily Bugle. I do beg your pardon. <laughs> I've got my comic book universes mixed up. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah, just after J. Jonah Jameson's been dressed down on the phone by Aunt May. And it's just, it's very simple. It's just Peter, you know, trying to help someone in a room. And then when he gets there, he's faced with the man who killed Uncle Ben. And then he's faced with un- Uncle Ben sort of stood up, covered in blood wanting to tell him something and then obviously the next panel is he wakes up screaming and we're back to the traditional art that we've had for the rest of the book but just those two pages it's really it's really great because if you're reading this for the first time and you don't have the benefit of hindsight i.e turning over the page and seeing um oh it's it was all a dream at first you're like what's going on here it just adds a bit of a surrealist quality to it doesn't it it's got some beautiful depth to it as well. It's like a 3D model. It's almost like they photographed a 3D model of Spider-Man. The, the shading and the kind of reflection of the light on the costume is just beautiful. It is. It is. And again, it just shows the versatility of, of the creative team because, you know, you, the art's consistent all the way through. And just to just to throw it on its head a bit and just do something a little bit different, just to different. take you, it takes you out of the story immediately and just gives it, yeah. just gives a sense that this is a dream sequence. This is a, an otherworldly you know, dreamscape or whatever you want to call it. So again, just really, really well done bit of art. I mean, again, it's that perfect synergy of artist and, and writer in perfect yeah. harmony. I think I, I say it a lot on this yeah. show, but I yeah, I can't enjoy a book that lacks one way or the other. I yeah, can't, I, I can't, I, I can't enjoy a brilliantly written book with shitty art and I can't, I can't enjoy a, a book yeah. that is an absolute feast for the eyes, but it's really badly written. It, to yeah. to me, it's worse no. than picking up a book and really enjoying the story and not being able to connect to the artwork. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I think the two have to be working in a firing on all cylinders for me to enjoy something yeah. as much. And within this book, I think it just that's, exact, that's exactly what you get, isn't it? You get two two people at the absolute height of the powers combining, and it's that perfect storm, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just it's got so much rereadability to it as well. That I mean, I've not read it for a few years, so it was an absolute joy to come back to it. But even if I pick it up again in six months, I will still enjoy it just as much. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I think, we, like I said, I think I said to you before we recorded is that I've read this section and I've read. I don't want to spoil it, but I've read, shall we call it the end, the end of Peter's story in the ultimate yeah. universe. I've read that as well. So I haven't read the probably hundred and something issues that come in between. So now I need to pick them up. Um, and again, as we said, the, this is going to be released just after Christmas in the UK. I'm not sure about America, but Amazon UK are advertising it 4th of January, 2022. This is being re-released in omnibus format. So the first 40 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man are going to be one of those new, beautiful doorstopper, really expensive yeah. omnibus books, beautiful renderings. And I'd imagine based on the number of issues, there'll be three or four of those to complete the whole set. Yeah, um, but I think that's going to be on a lot of people's New Year's buying shopping list. And it should be. It really should, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should. I hope they keep the um, the sketch galleries at the back as well, because my so my Ultimate collections have all got really nice sketch galleries of character designs, which are 
really worth just flipping through and seeing how they came up with the designs for the different characters. Yeah, I do love that actually in collected editions where they give you some some bonus sketches and things because it's just part of the process, isn't it? And and yeah. you know it's easy to just look at the finished product and be blown away by, it, but it's nice to yeah. see what went into that. You know, it just yeah. helps you appreciate the the feet more, doesn't it? It does, and I think sometimes as well when they give you sort of uninked versions or uncolored versions when you just see the pencils, mm. you pick up on other things that you don't see when you see the final version. I mean, I'm one of those people who is currently reading, or should I say rereading The Walking Dead in the colour, you know, the, the new oh, yeah. colour. Yeah. And I'm I'm almost at a point now where I've gone past where I read it in the black and white because I, I didn't end up reading it all the way through. Uh, but it's so different to read the same story, but in full colour. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I've only ever read, I've read Walking Dead from start to finish, but obviously the black and white and I haven't gone back and, yeah. and read the color I do I would like to I can imagine that's a really cool experience it is it is yeah definitely yeah um nice new slant on it isn't it it just gives it that, gives that story more more legs more 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 to look at but um yeah it's just um, just I just good comic book art just blows me away it really does you know I love it I yeah. love it I absolutely love it it's to me that is high art people a lot of people say it's not you know I sometimes get mocked for saying it's you know stuff that belongs in the, the finest art galleries but to me it does you know but, it does uh, yeah i think it does i think more and more these days people see it for what it is as well yeah yeah art is art it doesn't the subject matter doesn't have to be something for everyone you know yeah to appreciate it, yeah you'll never please everyone so no exactly but to you know it, it does just because it's um superhero shall we say which you know isn't looked at in a lot of circles particularly highbrow um but it doesn't matter good art is good art it doesn't matter if wherever they don't you're drawing know what they're missing exactly it doesn't matter if you're drawing a picture of the mona lisa or you're drawing a picture of batman it's still you've still got to you've still got to draw it and paint it, it. Yeah. exactly so yeah most definitely yeah well i think that is probably the perfect sort of jumping off point i think we've covered the events of these 13 issues for everyone. And I think we've managed to not get too spoilerific in, in no, our, I think, um, I, think I think we've done, we've only touched on sort of spoiler stuff that is known to anyone anyway. And it's stuff that's hope, been, anyway. At this point. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. It's stuff that's been portrayed pre this book and after this book and in live action, ad nauseum animated versions. Yeah. Uh, so if people don't know it, then shame on you. I say <laughs> uh, <laughs> their fault, their problem, not ours. Um, so what we'll do is we will jump to our final scores. Um, as always, the esteemed guest gets the, the big finish, the final word. So I'll go first and give it our score out of five, with one being an absolute turkey through to five being an absolute masterpiece and anywhere in between you might want to fall. So for me out of five, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it four and a half, right? I think it's a very authentic, respectful, yet fresh the resetting of the Spider-Man mythos. It still holds up today. Like we're saying, this 20 years old book now, but it holds up and it feels as fresh and as vital as it must have done when it was released 21 years ago. As we've said, the dialogue is really authentic. Characters are real. And it's a great entry point for anyone who wants to start reading Spider-Man. You know, you can come, you can come to it with zero knowledge of the backstory and just jump exactly. straight in. And it okay. takes you, it takes you there, it gives you his origin story, adds a lot more meat on the bone to said said story. And you know, whether you're a Brian Michael Bendis fan or you're not, 
um, I think it it's irrelevant really just judging this work on on its own merits I think it's top tier work and I think it's a career highlight for Mr Mr Bendis so bravo Mr Bendis Neil what say you what would you give this Oh my God, I don't know if I can top that. I think I would probably say four and a half as well. I think yeah. uh, for reasons that we've talked about, there are a couple of things in this that maybe don't land as well as the rest. Uh, overall, it lands brilliantly. There's just there's one or two little things that just don't quite do characters the same kind of justice that you get elsewhere. And then I think I can be very sceptical about Marvel more so than DC because I do really struggle with, as I said, books starting and cancelling really really quickly and i think in an age where you've kind of got and i was about to say multiple versions of spider-man and i don't mean that as in sort of peter parker miles morales spider gwen i mean when you've got like sort of ultimate spider-man amazing spider-man spider-man you know spider-man noir spider-man 2069 i think this is a really sweet spot in comics to go back to and say this is you know the original spider-man the classic spider-man let's read his story in a way where it's like you said, got a lot of meat on the bones and a lot to enjoy more so than if you were to go back to the sixties and get that kind of 15 page run through, which has a great nostalgia factor to it, but isn't quite going to give you everything that you might want from an origin story. Yeah. Fair enough. That's, I couldn't have said it better myself. I couldn't have hoped to say it better myself. Uh, well, I'm glad we're on the same page anyway. So um, yeah. I guess that's a case of uh, simple minds thinking alike. Oh, <laughs> great minds. I'll let uh, the. I'll go let, great minds. Go great minds. I'll go great minds, but I'll let the listeners be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> well, Neil, thank you so much for giving up your time, your insight, your expertise into this recording. I'm really grateful for you uh, finding the time in your ever busying schedule to fit me in for a little slot. So I'm very grateful. Um, the floor is yours, sir. I mean, you've got so much going on. Please plug away. Let people know where they can find you, where they can find everything you've got going on. Go for it. Okay. So, uh, I, by the way, can I just say, when you when you were introing, you did the thing that I do. You did the fortnightly-ish. And you can't just, you know, you don't just go up with the way that you say it. You have to do, like, you have to gesture it at the same time. It's, it's always fortnightly-ish. Uh, so you can catch <laughs> me on our podcast. It's the Get Your Comic Con podcast. It is on all major platforms. We do release fortnightly-ish. At the moment, we are on schedule that we will actually have an episode releasing just bang in time for the Batman. So we can't take any more random breaks because the schedule will go off. Uh, <laughs> You can read all of the latest news and reviews from everyone that is part of the team because there is, I think there's 12 of us at the moment that are all contributing to the website and that is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk and we're on all social media platforms just at Get Your Comic Con and if anybody wants to follow me, uh, you can read my own personal rantings that stay outside of the website at the moment mainly about how people are reacting to any star trek news you might have seen at the moment and i'm just at neil vag on all platforms as well perfect um if anyone wants to say hello you can find me on twitter at maxi burn which is spelled m-a-x-y b-y-r-n-e and if you go there there's links to different websites that i do bits and pieces for including neil's own of course so by all means check it out and there's also links to the comics in motion 
page, which you, if you're listening to this, you already know about, but uh, nevertheless, do check it out. The Twitter page is at Comics in Motion P. And on that feed, you will find this show and a litany of other great shows. There's something dropping practically every day of the week, whatever your taste in the world of pop culture, whatever it may be, comics, Star Wars, TV and film, anything and anything in between, you'll probably find a show that on there that's right up your alley by a wonderful cast of characters. So by all means, do check that out. Um, please do. So again, Neil, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute treat. Pleasure, to have as you. always. It is, yep. Uh, the pleasure was all mine. I'm very grateful to you. And at some point, we'll have you back on to complete your trilogy of appearances. So get your thinking cap on Ooh. for uh, what you might want to, <laughs> as he turns to look at his bookshelf to see what he might like. But by all means, yet yeah, do you have an open door yeah. policy on here whenever you want to come on? Um, by all means, have a think, and we'll uh, arrange that in the very near future. So, Neil, thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me back. And thank you to everyone for listening out there. Hope you're well. Hope you're all staying safe uh, in these still sort of semi-uncertain times we're still living in. Please do look after yourselves, look after those around you, and uh, hopefully uh, brighter times ahead for us in 2022, which is just around the corner. So thank you, everyone. See you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.